Dr. Alana Roy, welcome to the Grassroots One podcast. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be here. Yeah, um, as I was saying before we started, happy World Mental Health Month. Okay, yeah, very uh, very important month and we're all going through a lot at the moment, so I think it's um, a really good time to reflect and stay on track this month as we make our way towards opening a little Definitely. bit. Definitely. Um, you are like myself in, in Victoria from, from what I understand as well, yeah? Yeah, it's been a big two years. Hasn't it? I can't believe I got a... Um, and I'll do an introduction, property introduction in a sec, but I got a, um, I got one of those Facebook memories, you know, that pops up on your phone that says, this was 12 months ago. And mm-hmm. it was of me when I was living in the CBD last year um, and walking around the city and there was just nobody there. It was just the, Gross, it was like a scene out of Vanilla Skies or something, that old Tom Cruise film. Um, it was just the most surreal experience and to think that that was 12 months ago and we're still here inside our apartments in Victoria or houses is is a pretty uh, daunting thing to think about actually. But we're still smiling and we're still here. So, <laughs> Yes, very, very true. But I guess we should uh, we should start at the beginning. Uh, I'll give people a little bit of a, um, uh, an indication of, of who you are and your work and then I'm really, really excited to to dive into a bit of this stuff with you today, um, especially after the last podcast with Simone um, and a big shout out to her for, for doing a, a reintroduction. Um, but to give people a bit of a, an indication, um, Dr. Alana Roy, so you're a PhD uh, in psychology. You also work within uh, mental health, uh, doing social work, counsellor, researcher and advocate. Um, you're the practice manager at My Medicine Australia, which I'm really interested to dive into a little bit more. Uh, and you run a national team of allied health practitioners and integrative health specialists. And your, your focus is really and expertise is in psychedelics and plant medicines. So, which is one of the main reasons I did want to, to get you onto the podcast is to kind of chat through this uh, amazing modality or these modalities that decided to come out in, in psychotherapy. So yeah, again, thank you so much and welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I just wanted to acknowledge I've been, I guess, um, working with psychedelic implant medicines, you know, really closely for about five years, but, uh, don't see myself as an expert, very, you know, very humbled by <laughs> all the work, um, that has been done, you know, well and truly before I was on the scene, uh, in Australia and around the world, and even just from a traditional uh, shamanic perspective, you know, these medicines have been around for thousands of years. So I'm just lucky that at this point in my career, it's um, a major focus of my life. So yeah, yeah. awesome. Uh, and some, some great shout outs there that I'm, I'm really ex- interested in, in kind of touching on. Um, but it is, uh, yeah, it is an interesting thing how, how people uh, from the stories that I've told come come to these medicines and you've worked in mental health for is it about 14 years you've been working in the sector? Yeah so I started off you know as a young person working in disability and dementia kind of complex care while I was studying and to be a social worker and then um, my very first job was working at Canberra Rape Crisis Centre for, for several years and yeah that really I kind of began my complex trauma journey with uh, frontline response with uh, people who'd been assaulted and historical childhood cases and uh, cult survivors and ritual abuse. 
and then yeah went on to many many other services beyond blue suicide line uh, working men's line and with veterans of war so i guess from a very uh, early early age just felt really um yeah connected to i guess yeah the harsher realities of life and ha- having to face that and work through that with my with my clients yeah that's that's something i, I guess it would be a kind of a cool place to start i think with this conversation is you know what what was the landscape like you were working within uh sorry you're saying you've been working with psychedelic assisted therapy for the last five years or so um and and obviously prior to that nine odd years within the mental health continuum um what what's it like working it we know we've just had a royal commission into it um i work across health um uh, and understand on a level the complexities of the the fragmented healthcare system um but what was it like working working across mental health over those 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 years yeah and i guess just to clarify of um we're not quite doing the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy in the clinical trials just yet in australia they're all they're all emerging um the next couple of years are going to be really significant given the government funding and private funding and mind medicine zone collaborations so i guess the the last five years has been my personal journeys and my my work overseas as well as preparation and integration in the in the harm reduction space so obviously because these medicines are illegal in australia um, there's so many people in the community that are have always done these medicines and are actually doing more of it Mm. given um given the media people are paying attention so i guess a big bulk of my work at the moment is uh from that harm minimization perspective harm reduction who people who are taking matters into their own hands and um, right. yeah, helping okay. them be as safe as possible and integrate and, and land. Um, yeah, no, that's safely. a good, that's a good call out. And, and I'm definitely keen to, um, yeah, to work, to understand that um, a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but, you know, tell me how, how did, how did it come about that you started to integrate for lack of a better term, um, you mm. know, psychedelics into um, psychotherapy and, and w- w- tell me a little bit about that journey. Sure. So I guess the first, yeah, the first chapter of my career, you know, majority of my clients that I worked with had tried everything. They had tried antidepressants, psychotherapy, breathwork, EMDR, hypnosis, past life regression, every, everything under the sun to get better. And just the the level of uh, treatment resistance for some of this um, particularly developmental trauma or, or childhood sexual abuse, you know, it's so strong. And I reached a point in my career where I was just burning out um, given, you know, majority of my clients had complex PTSD, had tried everything and were, you know, running out of options. And there's, you know, a whole series of events led me personally and professionally to the jungle to, to, to drink ayahuasca and I guess the shift, the shift in me, which is also the shift that's happening in the sector, is realizing that these, you know, these medicines, when they're in a safe environment, are safe, you know, not toxic, non-addictive. And the speed in which people can get better is what has given me hope, energy, excitement, and and my clients as well. And many of them have had to go overseas to source these medicines or have done it illegally, which, you know shouldn't be the case. We should be providing these professional services, which so many other countries are. It is pretty so crazy I guess to the think. Bigger shift, the Sorry. biggest shift is uh, hope, hope and excitement now. 
Yes, yes, for sure, yes. right? And I think it's um, it's it's crazy to think that there's medicine out there that people want to take um, that they can't access. Um, it's kind of mind-boggling in, in some respects. Yet I do understand the the process it does need to go through for for approval, which which again I'm I'm keen to kind of talk to, um, you know, a little bit. That's probably not a bad time, right? You know, I, I think it's it is a really um, exciting time, as you said, and it is really a quite a hopeful time. I think, you know, I was talking about this with Simone on the last podcast that these dark nights of the soul, so to speak, that, that people go through on an individual level and seemingly on a collective level at the moment are such great opportunities for, for growth and for healing. And there is really amongst all of this, call it um, confusion and, and conflict and, and, you know, seemingly darkness, that there really is some positives emerging, the silver linings that I think are emerging out of this stuff um, with that situation that we're in. Um, one of which is, you know, the fact that the TGA um, has uh, on the 30th of September, as, we, as I spoke about in the last podcast, released the, um, the public report around the rescheduling of psilocybin and MDMA. Um, I'm really keen to get your your kind of um, your view on all of that and and a bit of an understanding of what that is and what that means for the sector. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really complex uh, because currently these medicines are only legal through clinical trials, which until, you know, in recent times they were illegal. There was a massive prohibition on psychedelic science and um, a huge dark ages actually in, mm-hmm. in, in science because it was, you know, blocked, not necessarily to do with empirical data, but due to, uh, you know, political agendas and conservative governments. So we've arrived at a really exciting time where the shift is changing and even in conservative, you know, countries, typically, um, you know, for example, America, which, you know, we see new laws evolving in Seattle, um, making it decriminalised for the personal use of psychedelics and that was only you know last week that that was announced so we can see the movement happening around the world uh, but in Australia I, I guess what we sense is that people are fearful that if these medicines aren't served safely um, with trained professionals uh, with you know protocols that we could risk going back into the dark ages and prohibition and if something goes wrong before we have the data uh, you know it takes a long time to repair that damage in the clinical space so i can understand the tga's caution in wanting the data wanting to make sure um, that these medicines are safe and then it's up to us such as that my medicine and other organizations to drive the the high quality um training like through the certificate mm. of psychedelic therapies to make sure that you know we have professionals that uh, can work with altered states and altered traits and you know, help people integrate and because this it's it's hard for people to integrate in, in this culture because people don't support it. Whereas if you're in the in the jungle, uh, they don't even really talk about integration because you don't you don't need to integrate when you're all in symbiosis with mm-hmm. healing and community. So I guess um our context isn't, you know, our context is evolving to hold hold this work. And we don't want to rush it too quickly. Mm. But we also don't want to wait too long because people are dying. Suicide's one of our biggest killers of, you know, we're one of the richest countries in the world and most developed, yet we're, you know, killing ourselves. And it's, Mm. um, yeah, it's a tragedy. 
Yeah, it, look, it, it, it is a really it is a really complex thing, um, and I really I like the way you kind of anchor back on you know the differences between that integration, which we'll we'll, we'll get into. But you know, kind of back to that TGA report. Um, as much as I did try to read it and go through the report, it, it is it is complex to understand the terminology within the trials and within how they're looking at the data profiles and all of those kind of things. But um, it seemingly is a report of recommendations or review, but it's not the decision by any means, is it? I think, is there a decision to reschedule? Has that decision been made or is that still happening later on in the year? Where's where that status at? I believe they reported in December there'll be a final decision based on this round. So technically you can put in a rescheduling application every year. Right. So we, you know, we're not we're not gonna go away. <laughs> um, I was wondering if it was yearly or three to five yeah. or what the cycle might be, but okay. Um but it's a big process, it's a massive process that you know Mind Medicine and, and many other organizations and individuals have gone through. Um, but it's open to the dialogue, it started, you know, the uh the discussion and for them to acknowledge the TGA to acknowledge um that you know, these these medicines do have efficacy. It's just about, um, you know, they're obviously reviewing more data and looking at the MAPS phase three trials and and considering, you know, our, our, our context. And we also need to keep educating uh, psychiatrists and GPs who are a little bit like the um, gatekeepers because they're the prescribers of these medicines. And, you know, really lucky to have worked with so many uh, psychedelic aware GPs and psychiatrists in our course. Mm-hmm. And they, these are the, the next generation of practitioners who uh, know know what uh, the limitations of, of psychiatric medication. You know, we need more tools. They work for some, but majority they don't yeah. <laughs> without, a lot of, without a lot of side effects. And, with, you know, uh, you know I, I'm, I'm, I have a balanced perspective, obviously, medication has its place for sure and many of my clients it has helped but though that complex trauma that dark night of the soul that existential uh you know terror um antidepressants really have not uh transformed those Mm -hmm. clients and we know you know from the community from subjective data as well as the trials that these medicines are really that next it's the next advancement in technology in psychiatry they just you know, coming to the party quite slowly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Look, I I know um, we were talking about the lockdowns before. I've done 250 days in isolation here. Things got a little prickly last year as the the pandemic escalated and I I reached out to a GP around, you know, exactly that, around going to to get some help and speak to a psychologist and get the referrals. And um, they were very quick to to, um, um, offer you know, um, pharmaceuticals as a, as a way to, um, as a way to, I guess, just uh, alleviate some of the, um, um, the, the, the impact or pressures that were, were going on at the time. And, um, but what I found interesting about it and kind of, as we lead into the, the next part that I wanted to talk to you about was kind of the lack of the, the plan around it. And there was seemingly, there was quite a lack of support around it it was more of just a hey take these come back in a few weeks and we'll see how you go um but there was no follow-up from that so you know and also what what i found interesting it wasn't something i was really thinking about speaking about with you today but 
um, what I did find interesting also was kind of the lack of understanding of how they worked from the GP mm. that I was speaking to at the time. And look, there's a lot of different GPs. I'm definitely not generalizing GPs across, mm. across the country by any means. Um, but it was quite interesting, nearly the lack of um, understanding of, of kind of the, how those chemicals were working and what they were going to do and um, how that affected um, the situation I was in. And for me personally, it was simply just, I didn't like the fact it turned the guide off is the only way I can explain it. It kind of switched off. Mm the feeling and I'm like, well, that's how I know if I'm okay, you know, and I get where that would be powerful or, or therapeutic for people who need, and I get that, I guess that's what it was, was giving you a break from that um, mm. anxiety or anxiousness at the time. But yeah, it was a very interesting numb, process. When you numb the bad, you numb the good. So that was the thing. That's the challenge. Yeah. yeah. I guess one, one interesting thing to note is that I'm just, is the sound quality okay? Just sure, yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, fine. yeah good. Let me know if it's not. Um, one thing to consider is that psychedelics, we're encouraging people to face their pain and ultimately dis- disrupt their psyche, disrupt their ego and and many other things. And for, for, for mainstream psychiatry, it's a lot to consider where, you know, we're getting people instead of, um, you know, we're actually... In the, in the preparation phase of psychedelics, we're building people up to stabilise so that they can actually destabilise mm. and then restabilise and integrate. And it's a, very, it's a very different way of approaching the psyche than giving a pill to get rid of the suffering, whereas psychedelics ask you to walk closely with suffering, you know, look at it, feel it, experience it, um, become friends with it. And I think... That's the difference is these medicines for my clients are showing them that the pain might not completely go away, but their relationship to, to suffering and their, their uh, trust and capacity to, to manage their own pain is, you know, mm. very different after a psych, you know, psychedelic experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I noticed all, also on your uh, Signs of Life website that you have, which is your practice in, um, is, it, is it St Kilda? It's in St Kilda in Victoria? Yes, yep. that's right. Um, uh, just how many different types of therapies that you, you offer there and, and the kind of myriad of, of different services. And um, as I kind of went through my own mental health uh, journey over the last um, 24 months now, as we were talking about, um, it, was, um, it was very interesting to essentially have to sit, sit with it, as you were saying, and it is quite an interesting process um, or confronting process to go through having to get to know that, you know, they, they call it the, the, sh- the shadow side or, or that the other side that you, the subconscious potentially that you haven't um, paid attention to over the years. And, and, um, and I think in a lot of ways, that's what a lot of people are dealing with at the moment through that isolation is just that having to sit with any of that childhood trauma they may not have healed or integrated or other things that are kind of occurring in the background as well. For sure. And, and I think COVID has made forced people um, to sit with themselves to, you know, to not have their distractions and their vices and, you know, their, you know, to throw themselves in, into social activities and you've had to really sit by yourself. And for a lot of people that's been very uncomfortable and very triggering all the government um, you know, not speaking politically out of what the government's decisions have been, but for, for clients that haven't had control over their body, haven't been able to say no, 
aren't safe in their home yet mm. have to stay in their home, you know, it's a, it's been a very destabilising time for people. Um, I could only imagine um, I'm so thankful for the environment that I have around me. I work for myself. You know, I, I'm, I have a great network of people. I'm safe here. And even that was, um, you know, the lack of community, that lack of connection, the lack of social interaction, the lack of goal setting capabilities, whatever it might be. Um, um, how much that affected and everything's subjective, right? Mental health is a subjective thing, but I could only imagine what, what some of the community are going through at the moment. Um, and there, this, you know, so I, I, I guess I understand the apprehension from the sector, um, but also, um, it, it is similar to, I guess, in a sense, you know, what we're doing with vac vaccines at the moment, you know, we're able to mobilise medicine very quickly if we have a need for them. Um, and you can't deny that this is this need is there in the community at scale at the moment. So I hope that is a tipping point for um, the TGA to to make those recommendations. Um, but as you said, it's it's really complex. You know, there's a lot of money that moves in and out of the sector, you know, because of pharmaceuticals. Um, there's, you know, ingrained belief systems, you know, to, of the way the psyche works and the mind works. And, you know, there is, um, there, it is a big shift for, I think, mm. especially for Australia, who in my opinion is quite conservative as far as most things are concerned. You know, I think we only, um, we only did gay marriage a few, a few years ago, you know, we're, we're a little bit behind the times as far as, as far as kind of new movements are concerned. So it will be interesting to see whether it comes out this year in, in your, the way you're looking at, at, at the, the landscape. Do you think it will happen this year or do you think it will be pushed out another year or two or how do you see that playing out? Well, look, it's, it's, it, I don't know. It's so complex because I, I've actually worked with, psychiatrists who've put applications into the TGA this is you know uh, private uh, public knowledge but non-identified sure. detailed but applications have been approved through the TGA pending state approval so it's pending the the laws changing in each state right okay so TGA approvals have, have pushed through which is a, a federal body and yet it's reliant on the states to make that decision to allow that that access to happen how does that work when, when there is no access to it um, or, or obtaining it is it around the therapies around it or how does that kind of work yeah so it's around the rescheduling so it's it's we've almost we we sense that that you know the tj is you know aware there has been approvals put through for mdma and for psilocybin but it's pending state approval and that's that's through the rescheduling um so it's yeah, I'm not going to make a comment. All I know is regardless, regardless of the outcome of the TGA rescheduling, there is so many trials emerging. Many of these are, are done in universities, but there's also going to be clinical-based trials, yep. which um, are just as, you know, just as rigorous, have the same, you know, a lot of processes of protocols and ethics, but might be observational, for example, and not have a placebo control and might be longitudinal or more long-term data, so like a rolling you know, rolling study. Right. So there's there's going to be, you know, significant amounts of trials. Psyche's um, has 40 million. They they release 40 million for research in Australia. There's That's government, right. there's, there's Mind Medicine, PRISM have got trials. Yep. Um, 
government so disclosed 15 we'll million, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a 15 million um, funding uh, grant that went out for it recently as well. So I think, I think you're right. I think the shift is happening, whether it's this year or it's going to occur in the, in the preceding years. You know, the, the way the report was worded, you know, was definitely, um, you know, there was a lot of maze in there. There was a lot of um, um, call outs to the, uh, the lack of data or the lack of studies. So you would imagine that kind of informs the decision-making criteria. But as you said, it's, you know, it's complex, uh, probably above both of our pay grades to, to understand those kind of things. But to see, to see that happening is a really kind of exciting, um, exciting shift in the paradigm of, of mental health and, and care in general. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is um, you were talking about there's been some approvals. Um, and, and I know in a conversation we've had in the past, uh, you've worked a little bit within the NDIS space, which is something that's quite close to my heart. And um, and I think w when you mentioned it was maybe around um, the preparation and integration elements. Yeah. Could you talk to me a little bit about, about that, if, if that's something that you're keen to open up? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So obviously have a lot of, a lot of clients on the NDIS for a whole range of reasons, might be um, autism, might be Sorry, Simon, I'm going to have to, the noise is... Don't you apologise. No, it's fine. This is uh, this is podcasting uh, from home. Yeah. This is what goes from on. Home. I'm just going to tell them to be quiet, so I'm just going to give me two seconds. Sure, no worries at all. All right. Yeah. All right I'm back. I'm just talking to myself and potentially people. Oh, my God, who are you talking to me? No, I'm, um, just, I'm just sitting here going to talk to my... Oh, do you have your... Oh, there you are. I said, yeah. I said this. I like to not, not edit these things as much as I can on the last podcast. Oh. For some reason, the internet internet connection was terrible, and so it would just keep dropping out the whole time. And um, and I just left it in. I just left the dropouts because it was just it was quite funny to watch the. Uh, you know. Well, you can choose to edit that or not, but I have two two little boys that are, keep me on my toes, so no, I was just. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so going back to that question, I have worked with many clients now over the last two years who um, either have a major depression, PTSD. Uh, some type of either learning challenge, learning disability or autism and they're the main presentations and they have, you know, by provided education around harm reduction and, the, the you know, that psychedelics are illegal in Australia but many of them have chosen, uh, I guess, their own health path and um, in that I've been able to provide pre preparation and integration support through the NDIS under I guess, uh, psychological therapy, um, but, you know, the dose session, we can't be there for that, obviously, at this stage sure. unless it's part of, a, part of a clinical trial. But it's been incredible to see participants come forward themselves. You know, we haven't, I hadn't really even done any marketing on that, but they they knew with their package, their money, they, they knew the treatment that they wanted and um, they shouldn't have to do it, you know, illegally in the community. Mm. These are, these are pe empowered people with disabilities making choices around their around their health and and just to add um, a lot of yeah a lot of interesting results with CBD and THC legal legal mm. scripts um, work closely with a cannabis doctor and I've, I've worked with a lot of people with autism particularly who found that medicine really supportive for anxiety for social skills just kind of dropping into more ease in their body okay from a from a sensory perspective, so. And how's yeah, the access really. to that CBD and and what have you? Has that opened up a little bit? Costs come down and things over the years. Is that's that started to become more available, or is it still quite a process to obtain for patients and 
No, it's it's definitely gotten easier. So it's prescribable now for if you've had an antidepressant, if you've had sleeping pills for insomnia, for autism, ADHD, and a range of other medical conditions, for example, you know, for end, for example, endometriosis. Mm. So it works on so many systems, psychological. Mm. Um, yeah, it's actually, you know, it's, it's a medicine that I've only discovered a, a couple of years ago from, you know, from, from this way. You know, I was I was raised in Torquay. There was plenty of, you know, <laughs> marijuana getting around. Um, but to see it worked as as a medicine yeah. and de- and delivered as a medicine, and the client actually work with it intentionally and legally, which is fantastic. Um, it, I've actually seen people who had chronic pot addictions take um, prescribed cannabis and like reduce their addiction, get get away from their addiction because they, they, they switch the relationship. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting thing, the relationship. Um, it's funny, my family's from Torquay as well, so big shout-out to everyone in Torquay. Um, there you go. Um, but wild. Yeah, yeah, wild, right? Wild down there, coastal living. But, um, uh, yeah, it's the cannabinoid system, right, in the body, it's apparently a perfect fit. And um, and I was reading something the other day um, and it was talking about the, the, the gap between um, – uh, Tonic and toxin is not very, very far. And they were talking about the relationship around, especially with cannabis use, but all, a lot of other addictions as well. Um, and there's a whole string, strain of, uh, train of thought around psychedelics and addiction that I've read into as well. But, um, you know, just how, um, how well some of those therapies are working or medicines are working for, you know, as you're saying, addiction um, and, and what have you. So like, so that's the NDIS stuff, which I find really, really interesting. And it's something that I wanted to kind of chat to you a little bit about because I've had a, I have a lot of friends um, working in health myself. A lot of friends as psychologists um, have been reaching out since the last podcast asking about um, how do they actually start to understand or access these types of therapies for their own practices um i think people as they're hearing more and more about the the possibilities of these medicines are really interested to know what what they can do um so as can you talk to me a little bit about the cpat um you know the certificate in in psychedelic assisted therapy what that Mm -hmm. is exactly what that entails you know how people can potentially um you know access that kind of training at this point yeah, absolutely. So, look, I'm really uh, honoured to be working with Nigel Denning and Trail Dowie and Melissa Warner. So they're they're my mates and they're my you know academic crew. So very, yeah, it's been an amazing uh, last couple of years getting to know them and this. And we're all very different in our skills. You know, Melissa's a neuroscientist. Trail has a PhD in philosophy and psychiatry. Nigel has many master's degrees and he's a psychologist, but really holds the Tibetan bond. Dog Chen, um, Dan Brown meditation lineage, okay. which I'm really excited to be a part of as well. Um, so that's that's us, and that's the, the 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 initial team. And of course, we'll be expanding. And the certificate of psychedelic therapies that ha- you can there's three entry, three three four entry points. So you can be a prescriber, such as a GP or psychiatrist. You can be a primary therapist, and that's someone who's obviously either a psychotherapist, psychologist. Uh, mental health social worker, anyone that has demonstrated, you know, uh, therapy as their primary skill set. Sure. And then the 
these, um, the next level is people who have, um, have a range of skills, but they're not going to be the, the lead. So they're not going to do the preparation and integration work. That'll be for the primary therapist, but they can be in the room for the dose. So that the dose session, so that can be music therapists, art therapists, paramedics. Um, we're, we're, we've designed a course that acknowledges that this medicine we feel shouldn't be owned by one discipline. It should be a multi, multidisciplinary, um, you know, and very hopefully very healing of the sector and ultimately we're kind of feeling like it's the ultimate integration really of mental health instead of having psychiatrists over there and social workers over here. How about we all come together with psychedelics and mm. let's see what happens to the, to the system. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause it is fragmented yeah. across all levels of health, you know, yeah. um, uh, reporting data all the way to actual practice and, and application. It's, it's a really fragmented system. And I think is one of the reasons why there is so much, um, yeah, why it struggles so much under pressure and why we're seeing a lot of the issues that we have at the moment is because of that fragmentation. Um, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I could talk about this stuff for hours. Sorry, and just, well, just lack of interdisciplinary respect and understanding, you know, um, you know, what a psychiatrist and a music therapist, you know, might be polar opposites in the clinic room, but together both are needed. You need the safety of the pharmacology and you need the whole, you know, psychedelics without music mm. is dangerous. Mm. You know, you need the right, you need the right music to hold. So um, yeah, it's very, it's been very exciting. We've done one cohort to completion with no issues with COVID. We managed to somehow get that through mm -hmm. and the second cohort is happening at the moment. And we're just, um, there's online components and webinars and, and training, but we have uh, week-long intensives where we do the Initially, it's the holotropic breath work as the catalyst for the altered state. Um, but in the near future, we'll be doing healthy trials, which, um, you know, the goal is to be able to provide a, a legal way to dose the students. Right. And then once once they're, if they consent, they don't, you know, it's not a requirement of the course. But <laughs> Someone was asking this, one of a psychologist yeah. friend of mine was asking, like, do we have to do it or do we do it? I'm like, I don't know. I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask. No, um, we'll all uh, be. Uh, comes on. Yeah. Yeah, no, we wouldn't make anyone do psychedelics, <laughs> but it would be it would be you know offered and um, under the clinical healthy trial. And then, what we are looking for, though, you know, the reality is, if you're going to work with psychedelics, part of the recruitment is being able to see that these professionals have emotional intelligence. They've had, you know, either their own dark night of the soul or altered state, near death experience, or deeply engaged in. Um, contemplative practices, state-based mm. change, so through meditation. So it doesn't have to be psychedelics, but, you know, to be able to work with these nuances, you need to be able to hold it and there yeah. needs to be some experiential, you know. So I really that. I like that and I like that you guys have taken it to that place. I was wondering a little bit about how you formed the curriculum and whether it was something that you've taken from maybe um, – the, you know, the works, work MAPS is doing, um, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Therapy, Psychedelic Society, sorry, um, and uh, or whether it was something that you've developed within Australia as far as the education frameworks. How has the actual curriculum come about? Is there a structure to it? Is it something you guys have developed yourselves? How's that working? Oh, it's very, it's inspired by the CIS, CIIS. Um, right. Institute, but we in our in our course 
a big part of it is focused on metacognitive skills and being able to um, articulate and understand, you know, going into altered states, but how to translate that into altered states. So, for example, you know, uh, experiencing ego death is the altered altered state and the altered trait might be um, improved empathy and social, you know, pro-social behaviour, environmental connectedness. So it's looking at a model, the models for state-based change mm. and uh, metacognitive skills are really key to that. And that's, um, I guess, your awareness of your, your thoughts, your feelings, sensations, being able to critically reflect and hold that content as a therapist, but also in the psychedelic session. And we find that um, particularly the people I'm supporting in the integration space, the more metacognitive awareness they have, the more they're able to get out of the medicine, the the more they're able to navigate while they're in the medicine, as opposed Mm. to just being thrown around by the psychedelic phenomena, they're able to track their breath. They're able to, you know, develop skills, um, yeah, for regulation and, and then, ultimately being able to make meaning out of the med, you know, the medicine, mm. not just alter your state, alter your, you know, alter your, your experience and then come back and not know what to do with it. Right. I'm, I'm, I want to dig into this. So, so metacognitive development you were saying. Mm. So can you, what's the layman way of understanding that? Is it self-awareness? Is that what you're kind of talking to there? Like a, an ability to understand your train mm. of thought, how it's impacting your emotions you know how you're responding and interacting with the world. What, what could you what could you dig into that a little bit for me? Yes, yeah, so there's. I mean, there's many plugs and jokes about it. It's, it's thinking about thinking. <laughs> yeah, but it's sure. not just cognitive. You're also it's the larger mind. It's 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 your thoughts, your sensations, your body, your your intuition, how how that of yourself, that of the other, mm. and then you know being able to develop um practices contemplative practices concentration practices to be able to tolerate distress to be able to hold and monitor and observe and Mm. and as you find with you know major depression a lot of those skills go out the window because just getting out of bed is and having a shower is a battle um ptsd your ability to trust yourself or trust your environment is profoundly threatened so you Mm. lose contact with how to navigate the world because everything's a threat. So by destabilizing the psyche with psychedelics, but then providing these holding skills um, and skills to monitor and observe, clients are able to kind of reconnect with their own, yeah, their own cognition, mm-hmm. their own spirituality for a better word, their own mm-hmm. body, their own skills to monitor and make sense of reality. And so, yeah. so how do you how do you make that leap then? If if you know, I've read a little bit, and I think I've experienced myself. Um, you know, the uh, under under pressure, under stress, um, whilst going through depression, which is something that I've had an experience with recently. Um, mm. That you know, the prefrontal cortex starts to operate a little bit differently, right? Your decision making goes out the window your emotional states get elevated and activated is it the amygdala in the brain starts to kind of fire um um, uh, and you know so if someone is and when you're going back to the concept we're talking about at the start around you know deep ingrained trauma ptsd level chronic chronic depression how do you then do preparation 
for the altered state and then integration with someone that isn't ready for that or or maybe or maybe too far of a stretch to take someone and give them a, a the psychedelic um therapy or session that is so far from you know their ability to comprehend or or integrate that talk talk to me about that process a little bit around preparation and integration what that means and looks like yeah and i guess each trial has their own inclusion exclusion criteria so i mean at the moment most people with most trials exclude anyone that has schizophrenia bipolar borderline personality processes and psychosis because to destabilize the mind when it's already fractured and ruptured you know there's there's much higher risks of people you know not being able to integrate properly Um, in saying that there's many people in the community with those presentations that do psychedelics and are okay so I think that the research really needs to you know evolve and explore that space Um, but I guess the clients that I work with that really want to do psychedelics but don't feel they're ready uh, again CBD and THC is um, really good to start set you know, if, if it works for their system, you know, again, not a panacea, may not work, but for a lot of my clients it has worked and it's settled their nervous system. Mm. And they've been, you know, just their sleep and their ability to just not be in peak stress all day, just creating an expanded win- window of tolerance. Mm-hmm. So they're able, to, they're able to be in their body a little bit longer, better quality sleep, eating. Then you start exploring um, other ways to alter your consciousness without psychedelics. You can do that through breath work, safely, legally, meditation, um, dance, trance. There's, you know, there's there's many other ways people can start exploring how to alter their state mm. before taking a plunge, and that's what I work with with clients before they uh, destabilize their mind. How 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 stable is their body? And their basic self care. Do they have a safe home? Do they have a supportive p- person to come home to, or is that extra layers of destabilization waiting for them Mm. um so preparing the container the temple as i call it and helping them um break out of rigid thinking through different our exploration of altered states and there's many that don't involve psychedelics and um i was reading something the other day um jamie wheel's book who wrote stealing fire then his recent book is recapture the rapture and he was talking about yeah the the, the breath work and um the different types of techniques that it can in, introduce um altered states and it was quite interesting because over the last two years as i've dealt with this um you know by myself isolation was the thing and that really started to um you know, take me to some pretty dark places over the last two years or so. And it was actually those kind of practices that you're talking about that's enabled me to, I guess, recalibrate the lack of social connection, you know, it was so kind of breath work, meditation, yoga, um, a bit of a static dance, those kind of things, you know. Yeah, it's amazing even, what even they fa- can do. Even fasting, you know, a pro- yep. you know there's, um, it's a spiritual practice that's used all around the, all around the world uh, mm-hmm. regularly and even in medicine practices with for example ayahuasca dietas you know fasting you can get a lot out of, of that if it's done safely and um you know there's there's many ways to start exploring your psyche and your body before you launch into into psychedelics and right. um, and i guess what's really interesting is when clients have they've tried everything else um and they're at the end of their road when when they start to prepare hope for for psychedelics i often find that they're um 
their willingness to, to try and get better and to prepare their body for, for this psychedelic, it takes on this new layer of, of respect and hope because they, they, they're, they're in it for a reason. They can see that they can see the data, they can see people's and hear people's lived experiences. So there's, there's often a lot of motivation Mm, mm. to do this even if they're battling you know their motivation i find starts to increase which is incredible that's got to play a role right in the healing process like that hope i know goal setting for me over the last couple of years has been hard when you know your ability to travel or set a goal to do something like a race or whatever it might be um but when that comes back you know that hope that that forward momentum um you know it gives you it gives you purpose it gives you reference towards something that must be an amazing shift um, for, for people to kind of go through and part of that kind of nearly healing begins, I guess, doesn't it? It may be in a sense. Exactly. And work with obviously a lot of people with suicidal thinking, so very often very rational people who, who are at the end of their road with pain and, you know, they're not psychotic, then they're, they're rational people that are having an educated discussion about their life. And, and I just say, they're like, well, we're out of options. And I often flag, well, there's how many other options available? You haven't tried this medicine. You haven't tried this medicine yet. And they're like, you know what? I haven't. Mm. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live a bit longer. Mm. And I think um, we have these tools. We have these medicines. They're legal in other countries. They're embedded within the culture and family of other countries. Um, but Australia's, you know, we're slow and conservative. And it's just my hope that, yeah, they don't have to be, uh, you know, it's not just uh, something they can work towards. It's something they can get referred to you know, yeah. as a, as a, as a primary treatment. I think this is the other thing that I wanted to speak to you a little bit about, right? Yes. In the clinical setting, you know, yes, I know that the psilocybin is, um, it, you know, it's a synthetic psilocybin that's required because you need a delivery system that enables you to be able to run it through the trials and all those kind of things. I'm not the person to talk about that in detail, but, um, the part that I'm interested to see play out, I guess, and, and maybe get your opinion on as well is, um, you know, the fact that these in a clinical setting and in, in we'll call it Western medicine, no, we haven't seen the, these um, medicines or substances used um, for healing, yet they have been used in one way or another on, around on, on the earth for forever you know there's there's a bunch of different theories around how long exactly for um you know terence mckenna's book food of the gods is a great um, exploration into that kind of stuff um but you know they have been used um for thousands of years across indigenous cultures and so i was, I was interesting interested to get your opinion on um how do you see that kind of playing out or how is that playing out you know there is a very deep um, passionate community, you know, around the indigenous culture and the, the ceremonial culture. Um, it's now um, transitioning in the West seemingly into a, a med medical and clinical um, uh, paradigm. And so how is that translating? How is that moving and shaping things? Is, is, does it play a role? It seems to the way you were talking about it before, but, but how is that kind of playing out across the world at the moment? Oh, again, really really complex question but uh, I guess you know a lot of people have concerns about capitalism rightly so um what it does you know the greed the monopoly the narcissism mm. people in power people out of integrity who aren't you know what you know being a bridge between the science and the sacred they're just looking for money yep. so no doubt that's out there um I think 
you know, there's a lot of organisations that can make a profit and have B Corps and, and reinvest ethically into projects and sustainability and, um, you know, sponsoring and scholarships. And there's, there's, there's incredible ways to make money and be ethical as well. Um, so I don't think it has to be one way or the other. I just think we can do better at bridging both. And, yeah, again, um, complex from an Indigenous perspective, you know, the, the communities that I'm connected to uh, uh, support a lot of, um, I guess, medicine work around Australia and other countries. They're, they're, they're shamans and they, they work with neo-shamans and there's a respect and a, and a transferring of lineage and training. And, you know, so I see, I see it can be done really well. Um, but then it can be absolutely, you know, you know, anyone can become a shaman online now, do a short course and you're, you're a shaman. So I think there's a real cheapening and danger of, mm. um, yeah, just cheap, cheapening these medicines and communities and, and their wisdom and popularizing it. And it's, I mean, it's already happened. It's already happening. a lot around the States, right? You know, there's a lot of people in the States that are, you know, now practitioners or um, even the preparation and integration elements. There's a lot of courses and things that you can do in that space now. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's not light work from from the, the minimal understanding I have of it. Um, so, but I think you're right. You know, there is definitely a place for conscious capitalism. Again, that the book Jamie Will was talking about, um, you know, talks about that kind of shift. We've gone through a, a faith-based you know, kind of fundamentalism or faith fundamentalism into capitalism. Um, and that kind of hasn't worked either in a sense, but there is this kind of birth, I guess, of the conscious capitalism. And, you know, um, he calls it meaning 3.0. And it's a, um, you know, there is is probably a place for a little bit more um, integration of, you know, community and connection and, um, you know, Absolutely. purpose and those yeah. things. And there, there is opportunity, um, I think, to have those, yeah, you know, more of a, a symbiosis with nature, a connection with that, those Indigenous cultures, and, and that will will only, you know, help help what we're trying to achieve in the West with these medicines, I'd imagine. Exactly. And, you know, I used to be really worried about these medicines and where they would end up, and then I realised that for whatever reason, they are in the jungle, they're in apartments in New York, they're in backyards in Australia, they're in labs. <laughs> You know, they're, you know, in studies with fMRI scans, you know, they're, they're taking shape and form in, you know, multiple ways and there must be a reason for that, you mm. know, that it's, it's going across all, all echelons, all areas, all demographics. So I was saying this to yeah. someone the other day, it's, it's a little hubris of us to think that we can control nature when we are nature, you know, in, in a sense, I think the, um, uh, you know, the medicines seemingly again, from what I understand, you know, have an innate intelligence to them in a way um, and they'll, they will impact and find the way that they need to at the time that they need to. Um, something I keep anchoring back on is, you know, we are where we are because it's where we're meant to be. And so mm -hmm. it's, it, it is, the, it is um, an amazing time, but you kind of have to just surrender to the fact that it, it, will, it will do the work it needs to do, I guess, when it, when it, when, when it needs to. Just be as conscious as you can and help others be as conscious as they can and that's, that's all we can do. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Hey, I had another question for you um, and then I'm nearly out of questions today, but um, I, I have a soft spot for the aged care sector. I've been working in it for about six or seven years um, and, you know, I was wondering whether you had any kind of understanding or experience around things like dementia and Alzheimer's and is there is there any kind of information coming out around those 
I know, I know there's not a lot of studies that have been done from the research that I've tried to do, but um, I was keen to get your, yeah, your, your kind of view on that stuff if there's anything happening in that space at all. Yeah, look, I, I only know anecdotally, you know, in the, in the jungle they often use um, ayahuasca for people who have got early onset dementia and dementia. Also, it's even been used for what we would kind of class as schizophrenia or a psychosis. So I guess it's a very different model. Um, in the jungle and there's also there's also no no rushing to to you know people can take their time to be in process if you if you're in the jungle and you're you're in an altered state for months there is you know there's the capacity for that to be held whereas in melbourne if you're in an altered state for a couple of months you're most likely going to hospital because it's uh we don't we don't have the the, the society and structure set up to just ride that out and support someone through it you know mm. that that long so i guess um yeah so these medicines are used culturally and from an anthropological perspective in a different way than we would um but uh, there is um i'm not sure who but there is absolutely trials starting to look into neurogenesis um, particularly with medicines such as ayahuasca and what what restorative properties it could could have wow so that you just blew my mind there a little bit um because when you do think about that that people are spending months in the jungle doing Mm -hmm multiple healings call it you know um, over a period of time in a container where they're able to do that work um, it is a complete different way of thinking about the process of the healing process um, yeah sorry you've just I, I hadn't never kind of thought about that longevity to it even though I've read about it before um, but yet everything you know in our medical system is very much set up as a response yeah and and also just um not that i'm necessarily an advocate for it but just the reality that um children take psychedelics in other countries i've just heard that as well yeah in in ceremony um for initiation for rites of passage and you know just again just thinking about how our children are first initiated into altered states and it's in australia and it's typically through you know alcohol getting drunk um you know, other substances which are connected to harm and addiction. I think it's just fascinating that, yeah, the different approaches to uh, engaging with what is seems to be a pretty natural response for most people and it's altering altering mm-hmm. your state at some point in your life. Well, you know, most, yeah, most uh, Jamie Will talks about it in Stealing Fire, the, you know, the altered state economy is the biggest economy that's out there, you know, um, and we've been doing it for forever. I know for myself... Um, dealing with substance abuse and addiction throughout my my 20s um, it was exactly that there was no rite of passage there's no understanding you're just kind of thrown into the deep end of life and your emotions and then the next thing you know you've got to navigate suddenly all of these coping mechanisms and substances and whatever it might be and you know I bet you didn't, bet you didn't have any elders there to uh no, not that, that we navigate that stuff no no that's exactly right and and it was really um what was so complex about my own personal journey was that the trauma, if you will, the childhood trauma was just so subtle that I never recognized it. And so Mm. I always just thought it was me. You know, there was no real reason for me to be an addict or, or go down those roads uh, that I did when I was younger. Um, And I don't talk about that stuff yet. It's something I'm starting to unpack and and talk about in this forum and and others. But um, yeah, there is really that, um, 
uh, a lack of understanding, you know, I think in around mental health in general and, and then as we're talking about those rites of passage and um, even I was talking about it with Simone the other week to riff off into other things, but we're, you know, talking about the, the lack of um, kind of compassion and connection to our elders, you know, mm. and, and how that plays out in society as well. So it's a really, really quite a complex um, scenario that mm. we find ourselves in in the West and especially Australia. Yes. And yeah, that's why I'm really excited actually about speaking about psychedelic parenting. Um, you know, I've got, I've got children and I just think um, just providing safe, open discussions around altering consciousness around their right to explore their mind, no shame, no judgment, but how to, how to do it so that, you know, they're safe. And yeah. And I, I think it doesn't, as you said, it doesn't take, you know, it hurts, it hurts to be a human, even on a, you know, pretty good day. Yeah. You know, it's it's tough being a human, and yeah. it doesn't doesn't take much for a developing psyche, a little a little child, to get lost in uh, in this great mystery. So, mm. yeah, I'm glad that you're. Sounds like you're in a in a stage of development yourself, which is really exciting. Always, yeah. always growing, but um, yeah, and it is, isn't it? It's it's very subtle, uh, subtle these things. And look, um, thank you so much for for spending a little bit of time with me this evening i I just think it's such a um an interesting and important conversation and i just um i just wanted to thank you for the work that you're doing um and you know i'm finding you um more and more as one of the evolving voices in the country around this topic and and it's just something that yeah for me personally is is such a um, such a personal thing, I think, like us all, but the, it's also just a, an amazing opportunity to to share these stories. And I, I think it's, you know, with these stories that we can start to understand each other out there a little bit more and, and have a little bit more compassion for for the world around us. So, um, yeah, thank you so much again for, for coming on this evening. No worries. If you're a friend of Simone's, you're a friend of mine. So. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> you're in awesome so hey listen yeah. where where can people find you and, and your work i know there's a bunch of people that were reaching out to me around um around the, the courses that you're running um and around your work specifically um so yeah where, where can people find you yeah so just uh, the mind medicine psychological support services page and the certificate of psychedelic therapies is on that as well and also got my my signs of life practice in st kilda but yeah we're around and we'll be even more around once the uh once we're allowed out so yes it's going to be a busy, busy summer and next year i can't wait to see people in person we'll have to arrange some yeah some in-person events in melbourne be awesome that'd be awesome yep i'm Real very people. much yeah people huh people <laughs> yeah. i remember yeah human connection i remember, I remember that. people <laughs> yeah i remember that as well yeah awesome uh well thank you so much uh dr lana roy uh it's been an absolute pleasure and uh and yeah thank you again everybody thanks mate See you on the other side.